the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. In addition to taking care of one another inside the church, what if we developed a lifestyle of taking care of the most needy outside the walls of the church? How would that change the community and our city? Bob Moffat, president and founder of Harvest Foundation in Phoenix, along with Pastor Julian Gibb, talk with pastors and leaders about how sacrificial love by those in the church to those in need outside the church has helped people see and embrace Jesus Christ. It's that demonstration of Jesus' greatest commandment that we'll hear more about today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. Well, good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are around the world. It's wonderful to have you join us here today on The Kingdom and Its Stories. My name is Julian Gibb, and today I'm blessed to have another Brit, another Brit named Gordon Shaw Rogers. And uh, Gordon, welcome to the show. Thanks very much, Julian. Good to be with you. Now, the last time you and I met was about 10 years ago, uh, at least. A little younger. (laughs) We were both younger, both slimmer, uh, but uh, I'll speak for myself. Uh Uh, (laughs) But uh, we... um, you were, I was learning Hebrew and Greek, and you were out saving the world. And uh, so tell us a little bit more. What, what have you been doing in the last 10 years? Um, yes, quite a lot of different things. But the strand that holds it together is helping people to work together for greater impact. And I've been doing that at international level. So at the moment, my focuses are particularly on issues around refugees, trafficking, and persecution and then um, family, children, and youth. So those two broad areas of interest. Indeed, they are broad. Uh, And so that's covering a lot of ground. And uh, they're not the easy topics as well. You know, you're dealing with some of the worst things in society, you know, child trafficking and and so forth. So, um, you know, how, how did you sense your call into this area um it's it's a bit of a long story but um the short answer is by reading the bible and discovering god's concern for the disadvantaged and the marginalized um and in terms of a commitment to the um to the international agenda that began when I when I first came to a personal and living faith, which was in my late teens. I met a um, a group of people from a, a mission agency called Operation Mobilization on the streets in Vienna, Austria. So I'm from the UK, but for that year had a job making cardboard boxes in a factory in Vienna. It's a, that's a long story in itself. But anyway, while I was there, I met these Christians on the streets and had until that point that day managed to avoid them cross over literally i'd cross over to the other side of the road to avoid them because i thought they were nuts um but got into conversation with them discovered they were normal and surprisingly nice and they talked a lot about jesus 
And they pointed me again and again to the Bible. And that's how I came to a personal and living faith. And it became apparent to me from their lives and from what I was reading in scripture, in the Christian scriptures, that God is the God of all the nations and concerned for all people everywhere. So just being concerned for my own people group wasn't really an option. Came back to the UK, went back to the UK and uh, discovered there were people who believed these things in the UK. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was unbelievably ignorant, Julian, honestly. Um, but anyway, then what became my home church invited me to go onto their staff. And after agonizing that over that for about three years, they obviously saw something in me that they felt was would be useful. Uh, they tried to persuade me to come and work with them to develop ministry to international students, foreign students in the town. And my initial reaction as a, as a young Christian was that there must be bet- people far better qualified than me. There must be people with far more experience than me. There must be people who would be, uh, who'd be far better at it than me. But eventually I came to the conclusion that I just accepted the invitation from the church, I suppose, is what happened. And uh, then it went on from there. Um, I'd, I'd, I, yeah, that, that was the beginning of, of, of my... Of my your, your call. Yeah, I suppose that's, that's the word. That's, so it was, a, it was a communal thing, kind of recognition by others in the community, I suppose. Because it's a, <clears throat> something that can uh, come to all of us, sort of a certain temptation in our minds of... Well, also an element of probable realistic humility of I haven't got what it takes. You know, um, you're calling me, you know, why why me? There must be like a thousand better people to do this role. You know, uh, you know, um, if I was you, I'd be hoping for for someone better. You know, so why why are you calling me? But I'm reminded in scripture time and again when uh, the Lord calls out people, it's like, Don't don't have me, you have Aaron. You know, he's far better. And it's like no, I'm calling you. <laughs> and so obviously God is pulling the strings behind the behind the scenes. And uh, as you say, you know, our role is to many advisors make victory sure to listen to um, what other people are saying, to listen to what scripture says and, and to to just do your call. But uh, so tell us a little bit more, because I'm, I'm looking at this list here and um, I'm feeling uh, somewhat inadequate. Uh, you know, we have here that uh, you work, you've worked or are working with a world without orphans. Um, so tell us a little bit more about that. How are you having an effect in that, in that arena where there are so many people who are orphans with great needs? How are you and your organization reaching out to these people? Uh, well, the first thing to say, Julian, is that right now I'm not with an organization. I'm freelance. I'm independent. So I get invited to help movements and networks to do various things. But when I first came across War Without Orphans, I was working with, I was Associate Secretary General, Deputy Secretary General of the World Evangelical Alliance, which is the global body that brings together all the, all the bodies like the National Association of Evangelicals in the US. And there are 125 odd bodies like that around the world who are lumped together in this global body, the World Evangelical Alliance. And I had a senior role in the WEA. And World Without Orphans was trying to, was beginning to run, uh, wanted to run a consultation, um, an international consultation, and came to us, to me, and asked if I could advise about 
connections in different countries and regions around the world. So that was my first contact with World Without Orphans. And then I've had various kind of consultancy contact with uh, with the movement since then. It's an exciting movement in that it, it came out of, it began in Ukraine, in um, Eastern Europe, um, with a bunch of Christian leaders in Ukraine praying for orphans and vulnerable children in the country, recognizing that there were some really, really disadvantaged children in largely in orphanages, in institutions in the country. And they had a growing concern for their welfare and started praying for them. And then one after another, they came to the conclusion that actually the best way to care for them was in families. And it would be better if they could find ways of getting them fostered or adopted into, into families. So then one after another, these Christian leaders, these pastors began to adopt sibling groups of very, very deeply troubled kids often and to face all the difficulties um, that, that, that traumatized children bring into families and then support one another in that process. And they were meeting regularly and trying to get professional advice and helping one another and all of that. And then, but continuing to pray the whole time. And then one of their prayer meetings, one of them started to, to pray, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could have a Ukraine without orphans? And that's where the idea came from. And then they started going international with that concept and so on. And the rest is history, as they say. You can find out about that on, on worldwithoutorphans.org. It's, it's a very good movement. I'm, uh, right now, I'm involved with the European section of World Without Orphans, but with very, very warm connections with the folks at global level. So how, I mean, the task seems so daunting. Uh, I don't even know the statistics of the the number of orphans and so forth. And uh, surely resources are, um, there aren't ever enough resources to go around. So what, what what are you guys actually doing? Are you, are you finding foster homes? Are you to tell tell us what what you're actually practically doing? Yeah, um, so I I haven't come prepared to answer that question, Julian. Partly because okay. conversations go in this direction, but but the short answer is um, the the movement as a whole globally is trying to help uh, national movements to develop to address the national needs of orphans and vulnerable children in their nations. And if you look at the kids in orphanages around the world, in institutions, very often a very high percentage of them, particularly in some parts of the world, actually have some kind of family. Mm -hmm. So part of what World Without Orphans is then trying to do is to try to work out how to strengthen families, create resilience in families under pressure, families who are deeply troubled, deeply disturbed, often um, with huge difficulties of their own, who cannot often afford then to keep the kids, or it's a cheaper or better option for them to give up the kids for all sorts of reasons. So part of the strategy is to address that whole question of building resilience and strength into families so that they can retain children but then they also uh, are encouraging fostering and adopting and so on. So check out the website. It would have more information. Just in terms of the specific context at the moment, there's a really good report that I've just received this last week, actually, called Children, the Hidden Pandemic 2021. Mm. 
looks at the impact of COVID-19 on orphans and vulnerable children around the world. It's really well researched, really well put together, a number of universities and uh, involved in it, among others. Um, and they're suggesting that there is a real, real problem with um, the creation of more and more orphans. Now, I know this anecdotally from my own experience with India. So should I just speak about that just for yes, a moment? Yes, please. So in India, one of the things I'm involved with around the world is youth work and helping youth workers to work together for, for greater impact through a movement called Converge, convergeinternational.org, which is it grew out of um, the youth arm of the World Evangelical Alliance and has become a, a wonderfully relational network of youth workers around the world from all sorts of different youth agencies all working well together. So in India, some of the key leaders in Converge working with different youth movements have been doing some wonderful work with um, with Hindu neighbours, with their Hindu neighbours, serving them with food and medicine, and since the beginning of the pandemic, providing wonderfully. In the mo- in the last few months, they've also begun uh, to care for the the widows and orphans of Christian pastors, focusing particularly on widows and orphans of Christian pastors, because so many pastors in India have died of COVID in the last six months. Some of them, quite a lot of them, really young. So in their 20s, mid-20s, leaving behind young widows and orphans. So I know from that experience that there's a growing number of orphans or widows and orphans really struggling in India, in the Christian community. And I presume that that's true uh, in the other faith communities across the country as well. Mm. But this report is well worth a read if anybody is um is you know wants to follow up on that children the hidden pandemic twenty twenty one goodness and uh so again you know I'm feeling a little humbled about uh the uh the big issues of the time that you and of course others are seeking to to address to uh to work against to provide relief to other people. Um, but I've noticed um, within a, a number of your organizations, you know, it talks about God, Jesus Christ. Uh, I mean, is it really necessary to bring him into the picture? I mean, uh, you know, can't, can't you just provide the food and, and the shelter? You know, is there, is there why, why do you bring uh, the person of Jesus Christ into your missions? So the first thing to say is absolutely you can serve without Christ and without God in the picture. And all service is wonderful and all willingness to learn from others is wonderful. So the fact that I do what I do because I'm a Christian should never be read as criticism of others with different motivations. But I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if I weren't a Christian. And I'm doing it because I'm convinced that Jesus' life and death and resurrection change everything. He, he genuinely understands suffering and pain and death. He cares for and welcomes everyone to come to him with all our burdens and pain. And ultimately, we all need him for forgiveness of, of sin, forgiveness of the bad stuff we do and say and think, and forgiveness of the stuff, the good stuff that we fail to do and say and think. So my motivation is very, very Christian. Absolutely. And is this what empowers you? Because, uh, you know, when you, you, you can't, I'm assuming sometimes you can't just switch off. You know, you're thinking of the child trafficking. You're thinking of the number of orphans who are still out there. You're thinking of um, all of these uh, 
widows uh, who, are, who have recently lost their loved ones. Um, uh, what, what is it that empowers you to do this? What, what, what is it that stops you going crazy? Well, the program is the kingdom and his stories, isn't it? It and is. I suppose um, that's kind of an underlying driver for me. Um, and the fact that Jesus really cares uh, and is building his kingdom. And I read a book recently, which I really recommend, um, about, it's about idolatry primarily. Um, it's called uh, Here Are Your Gods by a man called Chris Wright. But it finishes with a focus on where do, what's, the, what's the point of our lives, I suppose. So, and it, it goes to the question of how to read the Bible And he suggests that people read the Bible in different ways. One, you know, a lot of people read the Bible as a book full of promises. Secondly, which it is full of promises. Others read the Bible as a book full of ethical values, which it is full of ethical values. Others read the Bible as a book full of doctrines, which, of course, it is. It's a book full of doctrines. But he suggests that actually, ultimately, the, the Bible is a book about God's story, from creation to redemption, from beginning to end. And that the question we should be asking is therefore, how does my story fit into God's story? And um, I guess that's what I'm trying to do is ask that question. How does my story fit into God's story? And as you do that, it is extraordinary how he graciously comes close and helps and helps you to process the suffering Uh, in our little local church in the south of England, we at the beginning of the pandemic, our, our, our Bible studies went through the book of Job and all the mm. suffering in the book of Job. It was an interesting way to, to start the pandemic. And, uh, uh, and I think for me, part of the way I manage the, 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 the suffering is, is by thinking about, by, by, with his help. It's with his help. Well, amen. Amen. And uh, tell us, uh, tell us a few stories. Um, you know, obviously we don't want names or necessarily like even even towns or whatnot. But uh, how have you seen um, lives be helped, lives be transformed? You know, talking along uh, the broad picture. So whether it's in India or whether you know you're, when you're working within Europe or wherever, how have you seen uh, God actively transform other people's lives? Yeah, in so many ways. I mean, I could go on forever. It would be a lot more than 25 minutes. But let me just tell do, tell a, do. a close friend who's a Congolese pastor. He's now in his 50s, forcibly displaced by war from Congo, ended up in Uganda, faithfully serving in Uganda, committed to serving the urban poor and fellow refugees in Uganda. I've been in his church in, in their city in Uganda wonderful ministry to the to the disadvantaged um and there he is doing that and suddenly um a, a rumor an unfounded rumor that he's a rwand so he's congolese but there's this rumor that he's an, that he's a rwandan government government spy trends on social media putting him and his whole family at risk so they then have to drop everything in uganda including their Um, their income generation project, which financed a lot of what they were doing in the local church and in their local ministry in their town in Uganda, drop everything and flee to another country again. Uh, but he just keeps persevering. 
Mm-hmm. And it's that resilience, that perseverance, that sense of he's been effectively in lockdown in another country for a couple of years, hiding away with his family. But he's praying. He's looking for opportunities to serve. He's caring for people as much as he can from a distance. And that's just awe-inspiring. And um, yeah, um, yeah, that that's motivating. Uh, or here's another one, a Kenyan friend, <clears throat> another same part of the world, a Kenyan friend who had been putting aside some, um, they put aside some funds for their pension pot, invested mm. in a plot of land on, on which they were going to build. And that would then be their, their income generation to live from when he retires. Yeah. They've discovered, uh, they've come across the, the, a growing number of women and children at risk in Nairobi and have decided that what they need to do is use this pension pot to build a transition home for women and children at risk, which won't provide anything for their pension, but will care for women and children at risk. Mm. Or I think of friends in Syria who've chosen to stay there right the way through the civil war because they're deeply committed to the kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, and want to serve the people of Syria, their fellow citizens. So, you know, I could go on for ages, but there are just three or four examples. Well, they're, they're wonderful, you know, real life examples of sacrificial living. Yeah. Uh, just thinking of the guy with the pension pot, you know, there's nothing wrong with like building up a pension to provide for your family later on in life. And yet, you know, when we are slower, when we are less physically capable, and yet he's emptying it in order to 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 help other people uh, how um how has your service to the kingdom transformed you how have you changed over time in service i think um learning from others has been key listening and learning um i've learned a huge amount from christians in the majority world generosity, prayerfulness, um, getting eternal perspectives. Uh, my own feeling is that I've learned a hundred times more than I've ever given. Um, uh, but the privilege of being involved with work internationally does also provide a, a wider perspective on, on life. So I'd, I would encourage your listeners to try to find out what's happening in other parts of the world, perhaps get hold of a book like Operation World, for those who are praying people in uh, among the listeners. Um, it's a really good book that introduces prayer needs from all over the world, from different, from every country of the world. Um, something like that is a, is a good way of getting a bit of an insight into how things are in the rest of the world. And it does, when you discover how many people are sim- in survival mode, that puts pre- fresh perspective on on some of our day to day problems in the global north. And what what would you say to those uh, listening? There may be some people wanting to learn more. You've already spoken of some books, but how can they how can they be praying for you and your mission? How can they also be serving you perhaps in a practical way or perhaps perhaps prayer is the most practical way? Yeah, I mean, for me personally, I think if, if people remember to pray for me, that would be absolutely wonderful because um, that is absolutely central. We talked earlier about what keeps me going and it is the spirit of Christ, his enabling. Um, in terms of 
becoming involved with some of these issues, um, I would encourage folks to look at worldwithoutorphans.org. Think about think about the needs of refugees and asylum seekers would be another category that we haven't talked about. That's something that I'm very involved with these days. Um, there are something like 82 million forcibly displaced around the world. I've just given wow. one example. Yeah, it's a huge, huge number. 73% of those who are forcibly displaced from their own countries are hosted in neighboring countries countries like Kenya, Uganda, Lebanon, Jordan, Turkey, Colombia, Brazil, and so on. Um, But there will be refugees and asylum seekers in Arizona and in wherever folks are listening, I'm sure. Uh, Think about their needs. It's very hard to lose your identity. Going back to this friend who I spoke about before, this Congolese friend, he makes the point that in African cultures, belonging is absolutely critical so he will say to me in in your european culture you have the descartes idea i think therefore i am he says in our cultures i belong therefore i am so community belonging is absolutely critical and when you're um when you're displaced and forced out of your own community and don't belong, that can be really, really difficult. So praying for and serving refugees and asylum seekers locally, wherever you are, will be another thing I'd encourage folks to do. Wonderful. Well, um, you have been listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories with Gordon Scholl Rogers, and it's been wonderful to have you uh, join us here today. Very encouraging, very inspiring, also rather daunting. Uh, But as you say, we have Jesus Christ, who is the the wisdom and the motivation and the strength behind us. So wherever you are, listen to God's call and know that he is working through you. Thank you all for listening to The Kingdom and Its Stories. Thank you, Gordon. Thanks, Julian. Good to be with you. Jesus defines discipleship as come and follow me. Next Monday at 5.30 p.m. on Faith Talk 1360, we'll hear another testimonial from a leader demonstrating how they and the people of the church are sacrificially loving the needy and beginning to see real change in their communities. If you have a personal example of how you are being the hands and feet of Jesus with your neighbors, we'd love to hear from you. Enter your story at harvestfoundation.org. That's harvestfoundation.org on the Contact Us tab. You can also subscribe to the podcast on The Kingdom and Its Stories on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. 
Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.